So to start this teaching off, I want to talk uh, about something that we've all felt over the, the past several uh, months, something we've all experienced, uh, and that is tension. Uh, tension. I think the way that many of us would describe these past several months, maybe in all 2020, is that there's been a lot of, of tension, and tension, this idea of being stretched or strained. Some have felt tension and even businesses financially. Uh, I think we all know people who, through 2020, through this pandemic, they've experienced uh, tension emotionally, mentally. As we look around at our current uh, political and social environments, that certainly can leave a lot of us mentally and emotionally strained. There's just a lot of tension in our world today. Uh, But there's another type of tension that followers of Jesus experience in their lives as well. And the tension that we're going to talk about today wasn't brought on uh, just in 2020. It wasn't brought on by a pandemic or an election year. In fact, the tension that we're going to talk about today has lasted for thousands of years, and it will last the entirety of our lives or until Jesus returns, whichever comes first. And here's how you're going to hear me describe that tension throughout today's teaching. We're going to describe it this way, already, but not yet. Already, but not yet. Being a follower of Jesus in the 21st century means that we accept, we have no choice, we are going to live in the tension of the already, but not yet. And for some of us, that may be kind of foreign as we think about it with our spiritual lives, and we're going to talk about that here in a little bit, but the already, but not yet is something that takes place in our physical lives. For example, I know many of us love taking trips to the ocean, right? It's one of the benefits of living near the coast. And I think that we have all at some point in our lives been been heading to the ocean. We're not quite there yet, but maybe you get that first glance of the the beach and the blue waters between buildings, or or maybe you park and you can see it off in the distance. And, And even though you're not there yet, what you experience is this joy coming up inside of you, this anticipation, you know, like, oh, it... I see it, it's right there, and you're already enjoying the ocean, but you're not yet there with it. It's the already, but not yet. A couple of weeks ago, my, my parents came in town. It was a God-ordained, amazing, miraculous time. Uh, they came in town and went to the ocean with uh, Julie and, and our kids, and, and my son Ezra, he absolutely loves water. I mean, he loves water. And he had never seen the ocean before. And we were so fortunate to catch that moment right when he saw the ocean for the very first time. And I mean, you can see on his face just this joy, right? He has this this joy. He's, He's already experiencing the blessings of the ocean, even though he's not yet felt its full ability. It's the already, but not yet. Well, maybe you're not an, an ocean person, but, but I want you to think right now of your favorite food, okay? Uh, and imagine that, that right in front of you, you have your, your, your favorite food, like bar none. Like if your life ever got sideways and you ended up on death row and they're like, you get one meal, like what is that plate of food, right? I don't know what it is for you. For me, you're probably thinking, oh, this is where he talks about those ribs down the street. No, 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 okay? Because there is something that is unbelievably unhealthy that I enjoy. It's my favorite meal. It is a fat, thick, juicy, cholesterol-filled burger from this place called In-N-Out Burger. Has anyone here ever had In-N-Out Burger before? Okay, okay, so you know what I'm talking about. Um, it is absolutely amazing. Um, and when I take a bite of that burger, you're imagining your own food. It's like, oh my goodness, 
This is a blessing. It's just heaven on earth, right? But you've ne- you're already enjoying that meal, but you've not yet finished it. So you've not yet fully experienced it. And I know some of you, the guy from Brookside Market was like, did you say something about ribs in a sermon? Because we have like 50 families roll through here. Be like, oh, Josh said the ribs. Look, you're going to have to go 1,364 miles away if you want an In-N-Out burger. It's in Rockwall, Texas. Trust me, I'm always looking, okay? Right, but when I, I take a bite of that burger, it's like I'm already enjoying it, but I've not yet fully like, you know, engaged with it. Or we all are familiar with, with, with marriage to, to some extent. And, and I know that when, uh, I remember when I got down on one knee, right? And I, and I proposed to my wife, Julie. I was like, Julie, will you marry me? And she asked if I was serious like six or seven times, which is really strange because I thought that moment would be one where she said yes, but I ended up saying yes like five more times than what she did. Um, but she, she said yes, and, and I put that ring on her finger and, and and we were committed to one another. And, and as I looked at that ring on her finger, that ring symbolized that long-term commitment. We were, kind of felt like we were already married. However, all the blessings of that commitment to be married was not yet present. We are not yet fully experiencing all the blessings of marriage. Already, but, but not yet. Now let me give you another timely example um, I listen to a lot of sports radio, uh, a lot. Like, I live a mile away, so I don't get a lot of time in the car. I will purposely drive around sometimes just to fill my head with more sports talk radio. I'm just, I love it. And all week, I heard all of these, you know, national sports heads, they were doing something crazy. They were already crowning those nasty Steelers of Pittsburgh as the new kings of the AFC North. They were already crowning with it, but here's the problem. They've not yet played our Baltimore Ravens. That's going to happen very shortly, right? The already, but not yet. And I can go on and on because in differing ways, many of us have experienced this in our own lives. The already, but not yet. But being a follower of Jesus in the 21st century means that that we accept that we're going to be living in the already, but not yet in a spiritual sense. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we, we already become part of and participate in the kingdom of God. We, we already receive many of its blessings in our lives. But that kingdom of God and, and it's all its blessings have not yet come into its fullness. Already, but not yet. And in the already, but not yet, there is and there always will be tension. We will experience tension. Before the birth of Christ, we read in the book of Luke that there is this angel named Gabriel, and Gabriel came to the virgin Mary, and and we read this, don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. So the, the angel appears to Mary and tells her that, hey, you're going to give birth to this boy. You're going to name him Jesus. He's going to be the king of kings. He's going to reign over all of earth. His reign will never end. And when we read the Bible, we come away knowing that that reign that will never end will be defined by peace and victory. And I don't know about you, but when I go out in the world today, when I scroll through social media, when I see how people treat one another in the comments, I don't walk away thinking, boy, is this a world defined by peace and victory. It's hard to find the evidence of what we're told in Scripture. So then that begs the question, right? Was Gabriel the angel of God? Was was he just full of it? When he said that Jesus is going to have a reign that's never going to end, and the Bible tells us it's going to be one of victory and peace, is 
Scripture lying to us? Was Jesus just a crazed man? Certainly when we look at the evil and darkness around us, we can wonder, is God real? If so, is he even paying attention? Well, if so, and he is paying attention, then is the weight of darkness just more powerful than the light of God? There can be some tension as we think down that trail. You know, a pillar of our faith is that Jesus died on a cross. He rose three days later. And thus, by doing so, he conquered sin and death. Well, then, that begs the question, why do people like you and I, why do we still sin? Why do we still suffer? Why are so many of us battling the things personally that we are, even to the extent that a lot of people who know us best don't know what we're fighting the hardest? There's some tension there, too. So, so why does our world feel this way? Why do our lives feel this way? Well, it's because we have to accept that as Christians in the 21st century, we are living in the already, but not yet. There's a man in scripture, he's a very peculiar, odd religious man. His name was John the Baptist. And John the Baptist spent a large amount of time out in the wilderness. If you looked at a map, he'd be out in the middle of nowhere. And he's always preaching to groups of people. And, and, and he once declared these words. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, if you're out there in the desert, out in the middle of nowhere with these groups of people, and you hear this very religious man look at you and say, hey, change your ways because the the kingdom of heaven, it's coming. You're probably looking around thinking, seems like an average Tuesday, John. Like, what are you talking, what is coming, what's coming? Well, it was Jesus the kingdom of heaven in the flesh, uh, approaching the crowds in the desert to begin his, mirth, his earthly ministry. And that ministry ended not on the cross for the penalty of our sins to make us right with God, not even with an empty tomb giving us power over death, but his ascension into heaven and he gifted us with the spirit to guide you and I through the tension of this life that we're living. So by faith in Jesus Christ, the kingdom of heaven, it's already here for us to possess. It's already, there's aspects of it that's already ours. It's in our chest. It's guiding our lives. But still, we will not fully experience all of that blessing in this world until Jesus returns and he reigns victorious. Speaking of the already, but not yet, First John tells us, dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure, just as he is pure. And the message, which is a modern-day language paraphrase, it it puts it this way, and, and I love it. It really illustrates it well. It says, what marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We're called children of God. That's who we really are. That's also why the world doesn't recognize us or take us seriously, because it has no idea who he is or what he's up to. But friends, that's exactly who we are, children of God. That's only the beginning. Who knows how we'll end up? What we know is that when Christ is openly revealed, we'll see him, and in seeing him, become like him. All of us who look forward to his coming, stay ready with the glistening purity of Jesus' life as a model for our own. So how do we stay ready? How do we as followers of Jesus living in the trials, the muck, and the choppy waters of the 21st century, 
How do we live in the tension of the already? And by that, I mean the reality that God's kingdom is here and now. How do we live in the tension of the already? But also, how do we live in the expectation of the not yet? Looking forward, knowing one day Christ will return and have victory over all the darkness and evil we see so prevalent around us. Let's begin by discussing the first part of this. How do we live in the tension of the already? How do we live in the awareness and power that comes with, with really following Christ right here, right now, especially when we know that by faith our, our future in heaven is secured? So even though we know that eternal security, how do we continue every single day to strive to be more like Christ in light of what he has done for us and the grace that covers us? I think we start by avoiding complacency. How do we live in the tension of the already? Knowing our future is secure, we have to avoid complacency. Complacency is one of the greatest enemies of Christianity today. Because we accept it, we live with it, and we don't even know it's destroying us. You know, let's imagine that there is this child who, who grows up into an adult, and this, this, this adult doesn't have any real drive in life, right? Doesn't have any aspirations, just kind of floating out there because they know one key important factor about their life. And it's they're going to inherit their parents' fortune. Single kid, growing up, they know they get their parents' fortune. Their fate is secured. So they know they can sit in their basement, like level up on video games, downing hot pockets, and they can distract themselves with things that really don't make a lick of difference because they know what is eventually coming, right? This child knows the inheritance will be theirs. So, so why do anything else other than be complacent? You know what is coming to you. And not that I have anything against hot pockets because they just released a bacon and cheddar, which will put you right in heaven, church family. I promise you, right? But I think it's so easy for Christians in the 21st century to become complacent because we know our future is secured. We know by faith we inherit the kingdom of God. We, we know we are already bound for heaven. And so it's so easy for us to just get distracted, to get up in arms. It's so easy for us to just bow to the things of this world. In his letter to the, the Philippian church, the apostle Paul, he actually addresses this very matter. And we're going to begin in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, but uh, if, if you have your app open or even if you have your Bible with you, I'd encourage you, you can read through those first seven verses. And, and what you'll see in those first seven verses is that Paul's addressing a lot of good things. He's addressing a lot of things that, that the church held dear, things that he held dear. So he's talking about some really good things. And then he gets to verse 8 and says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else. Remember, he's talking about good things. He's saying, those good things in comparison to knowing Christ, they're worthless, so I just get rid of them. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. So one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. So what Paul is showing the church here in this opening part is that there's only one thing worth pursuing in this world. And it all centers around what Christ has already done. Right? Everything else outside of what Christ has done for us, he's saying that stuff is garbage. Don't even waste your time on it. King Solomon says it's like chasing the wind. Then Paul continues, and I, and I really want us to focus in on this because it just 
it jabs right at our complacency as Christians. He writes, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. The Apostle Paul, of all people, is saying that that part of living in this tension of the already, part of of living in the awareness of what Christ has already done is, is avoiding complacency, getting out of the basement, pressing on. Paul says, I'm not going to sit on what, what, just what Christ did for me. I'm not just going to say, okay, well, that reserves my seat in heaven. Paul's saying, look, I'm not going to sit on my own good things, my own righteousness. He says, no, every day, every moment, I'm going to wake up, my feet are going to hit the floor, and I'm going to press on to become more and more like Christ. And let me tell you why I'm so passionate about just Christian you know, complacency is because I can promise you, there are few things more reinforcing of a non-believer's lack of faith than looking at a bunch of Christians living in spiritual complacency. Let me say it again. There is, in my opinion, very few things more reinforcing of an individual who has no faith other than looking at Christians and seeing how complacent they are with theirs. You know, it's not that we have to earn what Jesus already did for us, his victory, this darkness over the world. That is a gift, But our response to that gift, our our response, honestly, to our inheritance, that has to make us living and active in the world. And the most uh, apparent evidence of of God's invisible kingdom is believers who live a changed life. You know, I like to think of it this way. The world should be looking at you and I and and the way we live our life. It should be like a, a living victory parade of not just the kingdom present, the, the kingdom at work in our lives, but, but also about the one that is to come when Christ returns. We should be living so differently that people look at it and go, that shows me the kingdom of God is living and real. And we don't get that out of people if we are living in complacency. So some of us, we got to consider, are, are we okay just being tucked away in the basement, just waiting on heaven to get here? Or are we engaging with the world because of what Christ has already done? So we're living in the already, but there's another side to that coin, and that's the not yet. So, so how do we live in anticipation of the not yet? How do we know Christ's kingdom is going to come here? Like, how do we live there? I think we have to remember that this world is, is temporary. We live in the anticipation of the not yet by remembering the world is temporary. Now, darkness has been defeated in principle. But I think we all know when we look around that that has not yet been demonstrated to the physical world. So the tension, the pain, the stress of our country, the tension, the pain, the stress of our personal lives, we have to understand that's not forever. That's temporary. No, no matter how bad things get, we can look at the world and say, this isn't how it ends. Let me tell you how all this evil ends. It ends with a loss. It ends with Christ winning. It has already been authored, even though we're seeing it is yet to be executed. So you and I, we, we have to, to live in anticipation of the not yet by living in the confidence of that victory that's to come and living right here, right now with victory. The Apostle Paul continues as we can make our way through Philippians. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, 
Pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. And he's going to go on to tell us, well, what makes someone an enemy of the cross of Christ? He says, they are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. And then look at how much this next qualifier defines so many people in this world. And they think only about this life here on earth. Paul's saying an enemy of Christ is someone who thinks only about their life here on earth. But then he goes on in verse 20 and he says, but, and he's talking about you and I here, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Let's keep in mind who Paul is writing to here. He's writing to Christians who are under Roman authority. And as Christians who are under Roman authority, you are expected to promote the interests and the values of the powerful and very controlling Roman Empire. But you and I, as citizens of heaven, we, we have to be intentional about promoting Christ's interests here on earth. We have to lead lives that, that look different from everybody else. We don't get to act or react the same ways because we're not about the same priorities because we are citizens of heaven. We don't just think about things of this earth. And there are a lot of, of Christians who, as, as Paul would probably say, they, they fail to transfer their citizenship, right? They, they seek earthly treasures, earthly pleasures, worldly priorities, way more, and at times in place of heavenly ones. And think about it this way. Let's say uh, your business, let's say you work for a business, right? And your business comes up to you and they're like, hey, we're going to send you on a business trip. And you think, all right, oh, great. Well, where are we going? They're like, well, we got you an apartment in Guatemala for eight weeks. It's only eight weeks, but you're going to travel there for us. I want to ask you, when you walk in your apartment there, you're, you're only there for eight weeks. So how much time are you going to spend decorating the place and making it feel just like home? Right? How, how much time would you spend immersing yourself into the doctrine of their culture and obsessing over their ways? Probably not much, to be honest. Why? Because you're just passing through. Right? You're not going to be there long. The book of James tells us that our life is like a mist. We are here one second and gone the next. We're just passing through. We're not here long. And as Christians, as citizens of heaven, we need to constantly remind ourselves of that, that we are just passing through. This dark place isn't our home. We have to ask ourselves if the things that we are pursuing physically, emotionally, and mentally, the things that dominate our lives and bring on anxiety and stress and heartache, are they things of this world? Things that are just temporary? Or is it eternal things? Is it heavenly things that we are focused on? You know, as we live in the tension of the temporary, you know, the, 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 the already and the anticipation of the future of the not yet, I, I think it's worth asking ourselves, how am I promoting the kingdom of God in this world? How would you answer that personally? Is it just attending church? Is it just loving people that agree with you, loving people who vote like you? Like when you wake up, like how are you promoting the kingdom of God in this world? When you go to bed tonight, how do you want to answer that question? Ask your spouse to ask you this question when you wake up in the morning, right? I'm talking before you even look at your phone, right? Nudge you. 
Hey, honey, how are you gonna promote the kingdom of God in the world today? Write it, write it on your fridge. Right? Set a reminder in your phone, whatever it takes, because we are just passing through and we have to make a difference while we are here. And the only way that we make a difference is if we walk away from complacency and start bringing the kingdom of God in this world. Because there's a lot out there that's trying to set our agenda. News stories are trying to, to show you what you should care about and, and forcing your attention away from kingdom things. Politics, my goodness, are we in the thick of it right now? Politics are trying to get us to forget that we are just passing through. By all means, engage in politics, but not to the extent where we see a lot of people disengaging from the kingdom of God. You can do both. You can take the kingdom of God into politics. Sports. You should have seen me at the beginning of this pandemic. You would have thought I died, right? No sports. How am I going to live? I felt like God was like, "Ah, for the kingdom of God. I'm like, that's a great... He's got good points, God, right? But we have to ask, how am I promoting the kingdom of God in this world? So let's take that question seriously this week and, and ask God to expose the answer in our hearts. And I think in doing so, I think that what we will come to see is how we can align our interests towards God's kingdom uh, without, and this is important, without fully disengaging from the world we live in, Okay. God's not going to call us to stop giving a rip about the world and only the kingdom of God. He's going to have us so immersed with the kingdom of God when we say, God, what do you want me to do in my life? He's going to say, take me, take this kingdom and go to these places, shine a light in this darkness.